What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets in the car, while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Movie Crush. Thought I'd mix it up a little. This is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. I'm in the home office and in the studio with guest producer Ramsey. Hi, Ramsey. He was surprised by that shout out. And this week I had another musician. They're starting to roll in now. Uh, I had the great, uh, the perhaps even legendary Loudon Wainwright III. Um, If you are familiar with stuff you should know and our long history, you know that we made a TV show. Uh, for Science Channel, weirdly, about, oh, I don't know, six or eight years ago. And uh, Lucy Wainwright Roach was on the show playing Jerry. Uh, Lucy and I got to be good buddies. She is the daughter, uh, one of the daughters of uh, Mr. Loudon Wainwright III, along with uh, her brother, her half-brother, Rufus Wainwright, and half-sister Martha, and her mother, Suzy Roach. There, She's a singer from the Roaches, and they... It's just a big musical family, and it's really kind of delightful. They uh, go on tour together sometimes still. They play shows together. I talked to Loudon a bit about the very strange Alaska train uh, tour that they did as a family with with fans on the train with them, following them around Alaska. It's a very unique approach to a tour. But uh, he was playing uh, right next door here at the City Winery. Lucy was kind enough to put me in touch, and, and Loudon said, sure, why not? So... This is a great one because not only is is Loudon a, a 
legendary folk musician, a Grammy winner. So now, folks, I've had an Emmy winner, a Grammy winner, and a Tony winner on the show. And Oscar, look out, because I'm going to get you in here at some point, too. So uh, not only is he a, a legendary musician, but he's an actor, too. So it's kind of a double whammy. He was in MASH. He was in, uh, uh, very famously, is in uh, quite a few of the Judd Apatow uh, movies and projects. Uh, and is, is a good actor. It turns out that's what he wanted to do early on. And I talked to him about acting. I talked to him about his youth and, for goodness sakes, going to San Francisco, California in 1968, in the summer of 1968, to actually sit down and talk to someone who did that in the summer of love was pretty fun for me. Uh, but it turns out Loudon's a very nice guy, very insightful, very engaging. I had a really good time talking with Loudon about um, everything, music, life, and art, and his movie pick, Tokyo Story, from 1953. It's a drama. It's in black and white. Beautiful movie, uh, known as one of the greatest movies ever made. Uh, but for American audiences, especially uh, if you're my age or younger, uh, it can be a little tough. It's a bit of a challenge, but it it has great rewards when you sit down and, and really get into this movie. So I'm thankful that he turned me on to it and forced me to watch it. And I encourage you to watch it for sure. Uh, also, side note, this was recorded backstage at the City Winery here in Atlanta where uh, Mr. Wainwright performed. And so uh, this is another one where the sound quality is a little cavernous. And uh, apologies for that. I now have a better system for recording remotely. So hopefully those will change and be a little bit better in the near future. And this is the last one you're going to have to indulge like that. But uh, thanks for bearing with us. And here we go with Loudon Wainwright III on Tokyo Story. We grew up in, uh, my, my, my siblings and I grew up in the Westchester County, New York. Okay. About 40 miles north of the city. Did you get into the city much or was it? Sort of uh, country living. It was it was suburbs, uh-huh. you know. Well, we would we would go to the circus at Madison Square Garden, right? You know, and, I mean, when I was a teenager, I would go into the city and get in trouble and stuff, right? But <laughs> as a, as a young kid, we were mostly out there in the, in the burbs, right? But he went to the city every day because he worked at Life Magazine. Oh wow! Yeah, he he was a he had a he was a editor and a writer for Life, so he uh-huh. was a commuter. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, and especially uh, in those days, too, I feel like Life Magazine was sort of, um, I mean, it's always been highly regarded, but in, in its heyday in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. On every coffee table in America. Yeah, that's something else. Yeah. Well, that's kind of cool. Did that give you any uh, inroads into kind of, um, I mean, did he interview, you know, like famous people and stuff like that? Yeah, he interviewed Frank Sinatra and Marilyn Monroe. And wow. Was on the uh, on the on the press uh, in the press corps when Robert Kennedy was assassinated in, really? in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, he, so he was in the ambassador. Or? He was in the ambassador. Wow. Yeah, he um, he wrote, uh, in, interviewed, and was friends with, and and wrote all the the stories of the Project Mercury astronauts, uh-huh. John Glenn and Scott Carpenter, and oh, wow. the guys that are in the right stuff. Uh-huh. So he had a very exciting, you know, swinging life uh, yeah. at life. Right. Do you feel like that sort of gave you an, uh, at least sort, some sort of peek into a world you wanted to be a part of? Well, yeah, I mean, 
I, I, we, we, he ran the Life Magazine Bureau in Los Angeles for three years. and that, So when I was seven, from the ages of seven to ten, we lived in L.A. And that's when I got, you know, I had schoolmates who were, um, whose parents worked in the movies, uh -huh. including Liza Minnelli. So, oh, wow. So, you know, and, and other kids whose fathers were prop guys mm -hmm. and, and directors. Uh, one of my friends was a guy called Andy Frank. And his father was a famous director called Melvin Frank. So for Andy's ninth birthday, we went to the the, the sound stage at Paramount and saw oh, wow. the court jester being filmed with that's Danny so cool. Kay. So th that kind of stuff, uh, I think that that's what really sparked the interest mm -hmm. in show business, right? And performing, mm -hmm. and uh, and then musically again, as I said, my dad's record collection was a good one. Well, I mean, you're someone who's uh, sort of a renaissance man as far as, you know, you've acted, you've, you've done music, you've won a Grammy, um, but you've also always had a, a bit of a comedic edge, not only in your music, but just sort of your persona. Um, which, what came first? Was it always music? Well, I started to play the guitar when I was 13, and I, I didn't think I would be a songwriter. I mean, I, I, I loved, uh, you know, uh, uh, Ramblin' Jack Elliott and, and uh, certainly Bob Dylan and, uh, you know, that whole wave of, of, of folk performers in the early 60s. I didn't think I would be a songwriter. I, my plan in life was to be an actor. Mm -hmm. I went to drama school in Pittsburgh, Carnegie Tech now called Carnegie Mellon, oh. and studied uh, acting for a year and a half until I dropped out and became a hippie. Okay. <laughs> That's when I started to write songs, around after the Summer of Love in 1968. Yeah. Wow, what a scene, huh? Yeah. Uh, well, Carnegie Mellon, too, that's a very revered drama school, right? Yeah. It was, uh, and still is, one of the best mm -hmm. uh, 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 drama schools in the country. And you, you enjoyed the acting in drama school, and you just... Well, in 1967, you know, there were more interesting things than right. learning than speech and voice. <laughs> well, you know, so I wanted to go to San Francisco and take drugs. Right. Is that where you went, San Francisco? Yeah. Okay, so you were in San Francisco in 68? The Summer of Love, 67. Wow, right in the middle of it, huh? Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. What was that like? I mean, people well, like me see it in movies and books yeah. and... It's hard to imagine what it was really like day to day. It was fun, you know, it was a bunch of young people. Um, I don't want to encourage the young people to have too much fun. Uh, you know, it was fun and then it got weird. You know? mm. uh, the, the fall following the summer of love, you know, the, the drugs got weirder and right. the, the dealers from Oakland came over and there were murders and hate and, you know. Uh, but the, the summer was fun and, yeah. and loose and free and free music and um, uh, I lived in a crash pad with, with a bunch of other people including Donald Fagan actually. Oh really? Yeah. He was out there for the summer of love too. Uh, how old was he at the time? This is obviously pre-Steely Dan. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well he was, I guess he was my age because I think we're the same age. So You guys were in your 20s then, early 20s? Yeah. Kind of the perfect age in 1968. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was uh, an enjoyable, enjoyable. Time. Did you guys play music together? Or? No, no, we did, we were just hippies together. Right. I I saw I I um, 
I, uh, one day we went to a macrobiotic restaurant, a bunch of us, and, and there was an upright piano in the corner and Donald sat down and played. We didn't know he could play. Oh, wow. And he could really play. He played <laughs> yeah. some Ray Charles song. Uh -huh. We all said, wow, far out. Yeah, where are you hiding that? Yeah. That's pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, it was fun. That's great. Um, now, when did you start performing in earnest and what kind of... I got, the first time I got paid to, to play was 50 years ago in 1968. I, I did a show at the Student Union at Brandeis University in, in Boston. And you did cover tunes, or were you writing? No, I was beginning to write. Uh -huh. I was writing songs in '68. I made my first album in '69, okay. so I had I had some songs. I, I started to write in '68, and I and I wrote a lot. I wrote you know four mm -hmm. songs a week. I mean, it was on fire. Yeah, you had a lot to say, huh? Uh, I guess. I mean, I was just um, they were pouring out of me. Mm -hmm. Well, your kids have all, uh, I mean, you, you're one of the, from one of the more famous, or the, I guess the patriarch of one of the more famous music families in the United States, uh, with Rufus and, and Martha and Lucy, and of course Suzy uh, and Kate, like every, you surrounded yourself with music, was, when they started to get into it, did you encourage that, or discourage it, or was it just sort of, let it be what it is? Uh, I, I, I kind of encouraged it, I think. I mean, my, my, the, the, the Rufus and Martha were pretty young when Kate and I split up. I mean, Rufus was three and Martha was just uh, a few months old when they went back to Montreal. But, um, you know, I saw them throughout their childhood. I was happy with it, that, they were, that they, they were musical. And then when they started to perform and sing uh -huh. uh, some years later, uh, it made perfect sense, you know, because their, their mom was... Uh, great musician and the same with Lucy I mean you know um, as a kid she grew up with you know going on the road with the roaches right. and uh, you know so it's, it's always been there guitar cases and banjo cases and pianos yeah, and sound right. checks and back inevitable then. yeah it was, it was inevitable that all those kids kind of got into the family business I'd yeah say. well everyone was just so insanely talented it's um it'd be a real shame because I know Lucy didn't Perform for a little while. She resisted. She did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but she finally had to cave. I yeah, guess. well, thankfully. I'm, I'm certainly grateful for that. Um, what was the, uh, I know Lucy told me about the, the train tour. Ah. How was that? That was fun. It was not just on a train. It was, it was a thing called the Alaskan Family Adventure. Uh, Rufus, Lucy, Suzzy, uh, myself and my sister Sloan Wainwright, right. who's a fine singer and uh -huh. songwriter. Uh, Martha wasn't able to attend, but we all went to um, Alaska. This probably was five or six years ago, and we went to. There are only about four places to play in Alaska. Mm -hmm. We went all. We went to all of them. <laughs> right. And we took a train, and we took a bus, and we took a, a boat, and a and a. a all of that, and and, uh, and our audience uh, traveled with us. That's pretty cool. So uh, I actually wrote a song about it called "Meet the Wainwrights." I'll probably sing it tonight. Oh yeah, uh, it's a fun experience. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, uh, it, it's weird to be with spend all the time with the audience in broad daylight. Right. You know, you're on the same. You know. Uh huh. Because 
we're performers, and I think our tendency is maybe to hide a little until we have to have to go out and perform. Right. But um, it was enjoyable. Um, we we get to, we get together as a family and, and play. We we also did the Kayamo mm -hmm. thing. You know what that is? That cruise that they had. Oh sure. That was Alaska too, right? No, that was in the Caribbean. That oh, was two okay. years ago. Uh -huh. not, you know, and that that was Martha. Martha came on that. So we we work as a, as a family too. We're kind neat. of the dysfunctional von Trapps. Right. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Well, I mean, speaking of that, you're someone who's always certainly uh, kind of laid yourself bare musically and lyrically, um, which I think, you know, makes for an audience member and a, and a fan very relatable experience. Um, but what does, that, what does that do for you to kind of write songs that are so personal about your own shortcomings as a as a man and as a father. Um, well, I don't I don't know that it's uh, that I uh, you know it's it's particularly therapeutic or anything. I you know I write about I, I have written very very specifically about 
being a father and in this particular group of people and although my experience is like anybody else's that's mm -hmm. that's the thing uh, I'm, my 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 shortcomings as the father are not indigenous to me right there are many many other fathers that have the same shortcomings including no. my own father yeah I, I can relate so I, I I um, I write about my life but it's your life too uh -huh. and that's why it works right but I write specifically it's what interests me you mm -hmm. know the dynamic of uh, I, I write about a lot of different things but I certainly have written lots of family songs and uh, my parents my grandparents my kids my siblings the moms of the kids, the busted up marriages and stuff. It's 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 great great fodder yeah. for songs. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, well, what about the acting? What did that? Um, I mean, I think the first thing I remember seeing was Mash. Right. And I was a Mash nut as a kid. Yeah. Um, but you acted before that, right? Well, I had gone to this drama school in Pittsburgh, and then I dropped out, uh, and then. Uh, I was a musician, and then I was playing at the Troubadour in L.A. Oh, great venue. Uh, in the mid-70s, and Larry Gelpard happened to be in the audience. Okay. And he was the guy, along with a fellow called Gene Reynolds, who created the TV show MASH, mm -hmm. which was, of course, based on the Robert Altman movie. But uh, he liked the show, and he, said, he approached, he came and said, asked me if I'd be interested in, in being... Um, they, they had an idea that one of those doctors could be a play the guitar. Right. So, so I became Captain Calvin Spaulding, mm -hmm. the uh, singing surgeon. <laughs> That's great. You were on a few episodes too, right? I was on three episodes, yeah. and they're on television somewhere right now. Uh-huh. I watched a lot of MASH growing up. Yeah. Because it was in reruns three times a day, I felt like. No, it was the, it was the, the, the big show. The yeah. The show. Yeah, I ended up, when I lived in L.A., I... I worked just on film crews on uh, TV commercials and stuff and we shot out of Malibu Creek mm -hmm. and I got where that a, Jeep is I got a real kick out of seeing that Jeep I gotta tell you <laughs> that's basically all that's left is that Jeep yeah sort of grass grown and rusted out pretty cool though yeah. uh, and, and I should mention Undeclared too I was a huge fan of Undeclared uh, and I thought that show just was a little bit ahead of its time and never got its due as a comedy yeah that was fun to do that. Uh, we didn't even get a whole season. I think we did about 21 episodes. But, uh, yeah. That was good stuff. It was good stuff. And, and uh, Judd uh, uh, Apatow, of course, is uh, a force uh, and continues to be uh, one. Um, yeah, how did you meet? How did that come about? Was he just a fan of yours? That's what it was. He was a fan. He he was a teenager living in Sios at Long Island, and he saw me on the first incarnation of the David Letterman show, which was a morning show, right. afternoon show, and he thought, I, I guess he liked what I, uh, he thought I was funny, uh -huh. and then he, I guess, heard some of the records and came in and saw me perform in town at the bottom line, and uh, which was the big club, um, and then years and years went by, and, uh, you know, when he, when he was doing Undeclared, he, he got in touch with me, and and asked if, I, I hadn't seen Freaks and Geeks, I, I had no idea who he was, mm -hmm. but I read a script, uh, so, and I saw some of the Freaks and Geeks episodes, and I realized how good it was. Yeah. So I was, I was very happy to, to, do, to do that. 
Now, were you trying to pursue acting, or did jobs just sort of come to you? Um, I, I have a lackadaisical uh, acting career. Uh -huh. You know, occasionally I'll get a job. Um, you know, I've done had small parts, and you know, I did. I was in this uh, Tim Burton movie called Big Fish. And sure. I did a Cameron Crowe movie called Elizabeth Town. My very good friend Stacy worked on that as a costumer. Oh yeah. Uh huh. Well, we were down there in yeah Kentucky for weeks and weeks. She's actually from E Town, so it was sort of a interesting uh -huh. experience for her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, it's fun to be, to get an acting job, mm -hmm. and I don't really make much of a living at it. Right. So, I, fortunately, I have folk music to fall back on. <laughs> that's kind of cool, though, just to uh, be able to scratch that itch if that's what you originally wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, to get these jobs sort of after you'd establish yourself as a musician. It's kind of neat. It's fun, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about movies growing up? What were some of your favorites? Well, you know, the movies, the, the movies that all young people, I mean, we all we went to every movie. You know, at the at the at the movie theater in Bedford, the Bedford Playhouse. You know, and then that would be you know, uh, Gunfight at the OK Corral and mm -hmm. Shane. A lot of westerns. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, again, because when I was a young kid, because I grew up in in, in Beverly Hills. You know, I I, I became interested in, in uh, you know I, I actually went to some sound stages and saw movies being made mm -hmm. so I was I was always interested in, uh, in seeing as many movies as I could yeah uh, I didn't really get into the cinema until you know I went to college I feel like that's the case usually yeah mm -hmm. well actually it was before college I, I mean I went to a private boys boarding school and Middletown, Delaware, called St. Andrews, and every Saturday night they'd have a movie. And sometimes it was The Great Escape or, uh, you know, some Disney thing. But sometimes you'd, you'd get to see some a real great movie, like mm. Mr. Hulo's Holiday. Right. Or um, Odd Man Out, which is a Carol Reed movie. I don't think I know that one. Uh, great, great movie with James Mason. Carol Reed uh, was the director of The Third Man. Oh, okay. An English guy mm -hmm. and uh, you know Forbidden Games which was a French movie so so then at, at boarding school I got to see these kind of really exotic powerful foreign films mm -hmm. and then by the time I went to college so that was college was mid 60s so Fellini was happening Truffaut was happening right uh, um, Antonioni was happening mm -hmm. Kurosawa was happening uh, and that that was amazing. Yeah, that was such an exciting time uh, cinematically. I we think. were seeing those movies in real time. I mean, right. when the Truffaut movie would come out, we would see it. Because yeah. I'm that old. Uh -huh. um, and then, uh, so, um, I loved all those movies. Well, being in, of course, in places like New York and San Francisco, you have the access... When, yeah, cool movie theaters. Yeah, like Kurosawa when Japanese cinema hits the United States. You know, you probably couldn't have seen it in Atlanta. Uh, yeah. Which maybe explains why my parents never saw stuff like that. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, but we can go ahead and dive into Tokyo Story, which was yeah. your, your pick for your movie crush. 
1954, directed by uh, Yasujiro Ozu. And I had never seen this movie. And um, let's talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> what was your What was your entry point for this one? Well, you know, when I saw Kurosawa movies, you know, which are most famously, you know, The Seven Samurai and the uh, Rashomon and uh, and those great and Yojimbo and Sanjuro, those those uh, samurai movies, mm-hmm. lots of cutting and uh, the excitement. I, I knew that I liked uh, like the Japanese cinema in particular. But I didn't come to Ozu until later. I mean, I probably saw my first Ozu movie um, 25, 30 years ago. So I was, I was I'm late 40s or early 50s or mm-hmm. something. There are three great Japanese directors of that era. There, there's Kurosawa, who's the most well-known, mm-hmm. Mizuguchi, who was a different, completely different kind of a thing, and there's Ozu. And Ozu is pound for pound, anyway, for me, the, the, the great one of, of, of that great triad mm-hmm. of, of Japanese filmmakers who were making... They, they all made silent films initially, and, but then they started to make, in the 40s... Uh, in Japan, they were making silent films well into the 30s, mm-hmm. even when there were talkies in Europe and America. Oh, interesting. Anyway, but... I don't. I can't remember. Uh, I. I think I read a Paul Schrader book that was about Ozu and Robert Bresson and uh, Dreyer, the great Danish filmmaker. Uh, Schrader wrote it when he was a graduate student. And so I went and I saw my first Ozu movie, and I think it was Tokyo Story. Uh huh. And um, it just killed me. I think I've seen it maybe fifteen times. And, you know, we were talking, I, I don't know if you're, what your listeners know about it, but um, it's a very, um, it's about the family, mm-hmm. which is, um, which is a, a real area that I, I write about and think about and, 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 and I'm interested in. And it's about the pain of family life. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, and specifically this movie is about ungrateful children. Right and uh, and regretful parents mm-hmm. and but it's all done in a very I don't want to use to say Japanese because that's kind of silly it's just very low key mm-hmm. and uh, but uh, simple and truthful mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> there's no yelling and screaming and right. there's no crying. You know, it isn't confrontational or anything like that, the way that an American movie might be. Absolutely. But it is so uh, powerful mm-hmm. and so emotional that uh, everybody should see it. Uh, it was inspired... Uh, Ozu liked American movies, and there was a movie that was made in 1935, I think, called Make Way for the Future by, by a dire- an American director... That's a great movie, by an American director called Leo... Carry and it's, again, it's about ungrateful children and parents, and parents that are aging. And I think Ozu uh, got his idea for movie for, for Tokyo Story from that. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting, and um, I'll set it up in with some detail in the intro piece that I record. But I want to encourage um, the listeners to this to invest in it because I think a lot of times for American audiences. And especially, you know, if, if you're a little younger, older films, black and white films, 
foreign films, especially a Japanese film like this, it's um, it's not as accessible as on the, on its face. But it's a movie with great rewards if you if you get if you get there, you know. Yeah. Like you really have, like you said, it's um it's a different culture, so it's not, and, and especially movies of the '40s and '50s were very melodramatic, and that's if you do watch old movies, that's sort of what you're used to as an American. So to see this family that was just so reserved and uh, they they didn't touch one another, they didn't, they didn't hug one another, mm-hmm. and it was it's such a foreign concept to me. Um, as a viewer, but the payoff is, it, it just, it kind of gets under your skin as you're watching it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, and I, I have to say, Tokyo Story is, is his most well-known movie, but uh, he made wonderful movies. Mm-hmm. And they're all, a, a lot of them are about the same thing, too, about uh, parents and children and fathers having to marry off daughters and, uh, and uh, just the, the dynamic of, 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 of people with people that they're closest to, which are their, their, their parents and their siblings and mm-hmm. their kids. Yeah, it's such a tough, um, I mean, it's such a universal story, I think, uh, from everything from like the cats in the cradle to just personally with how life works with, with parents and children. And it's so sad in this story to see these parents so, and, you know, I say excited, they're excited in their own way, which is not outwardly excited. But when they're speaking to one another about being able to see all their children mm-hmm. in that span of a few days, and none of them have time for them, um, none of them make time for them, except for the da- the widowed daughter-in-law. Of the son that died in the war. Yeah, the son that died, which yeah. was such a special relationship, but just underscored how sad it all was. But the other interesting thing was uh, that I find about the movie is that that this that the children these these this couple, older couple makes this trip to Tokyo to see their grown kids, and the, and, and the kids are selfish and, and they you know they, they have lives and they don't really make a lot of time for them, but you you understand their point of view too. Sure. It's very human. There's there's nothing. They're not villainous in any way. Not at all. You you. It's just the way that life works, mm-hmm. and uh, so uh, the characters are not. And then when the parent, well, I won't say what happens, but uh, no, you can you can say. I mean, these these are all filled with with spoilers. So. Yeah. Well, anyway, it, it's just a, just a great movie, and and it's uh, I, I love it. And when everybody when anybody asks me about what movie I like. I, that's the first one that comes to mind. Yeah, they, I mean, they sadly send their parents away even. It's such a short trip anyway. And then they send them away to the spa, to the, to the hot springs. And they're, they don't want to be there. No. And they want to come back and spend time with their, with their kids. They have these grandkids that are strangers. Yeah. It, I, it, I should mention, too, some, two of the actors. You know, you mentioned the, the character of the, the, uh, the daughter-in-law. Mm. Uh, that's an actress who just recently died. She was in her 90s. Her name is Setsuko Hara. I mm-hmm. may be mispronouncing her name. The most, and she is in many, many of Ozu's movies. Uh, she, she was his primary leading lady. And, oh, okay. and, and she is as great as uh, uh, you know, Greta Garbo or um, Marlena Dietrich sure. or... Uh, 
you know, she she is such an amazing actor. Mm-hmm. And the other actor that, that that people, if they haven't seen him, should see, is the is the man who plays the, the father. Yeah, he's so good. His name is I, I'm gonna mispronounce it too, uh, it, but it's it's uh, Chizu Rio, uh, I think is how that's how it looks on the page to me, and he. Uh, you know, he played in a movie. He plays a guy who's in his sixties, but in fact, he was in his late thirties when he did it. In Tokyo Story, yeah, really. He played he played a lot of older guys. Interesting. And uh, but this actor is again, if you want to compare who the great American, you know, Carrie, Carrie, uh, Gary Cooper or uh-huh. Spencer Tracy, in terms of being truthful, mm-hmm. this guy is just kills me yeah. when he acts. And he also is in many, many Ozu movies. So those two people, uh, people really, people who are interested in acting mm-hmm. should see Tokyo Story to see the performances because they're all great. Yeah, he has that one sad line. It's just heartbreaking. Um, a, uh, a married daughter is like a stranger. Mm-hmm. And it just, like I have a young daughter now and it just breaks my heart to think along those terms. Uh, you know, she's not even three years old yet, but I'm already dreading these moments one day. And it turns to shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, he and the wife have, have a, a conversation later in the film about how they're, they should just be happy that their children are all above average. Yeah. Uh, they had such low expectations, I think. And, and they're not hard on their kids for not making time for them. They're very forgiving. A word that's in the movie a lot is disappointment. Yeah, and it's but it's about the disappointment of life, mm-hmm. and that is another reason that it's truthful. We all start out with these wonderful ideas about what's going to happen, right? What, and 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 beautiful things and wonderful things can happen, but there's a lot of disappointment in life, mm-hmm. and and Ozu really deals very well with that. Yeah, yeah, and the and just cinematically, I mean, it's a gorgeous film, oh. and he. Uh, Especially if you're used to American movies, of course, back then they weren't as frenetic as they are now. But uh, there's almost zero camera movement. He just locks it down about three feet off the floor, right? Because they're usually kneeling or sitting in those Japanese little Japanese houses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he just lets he'll he'll start a scene many times before anyone is in the room. Yeah. And then he'll cut after they've left the room, but he holds it for a few beats. And I always I got the feeling that it was to let you to sort of soak in what you'd seen mm-hmm. and not just go right into the next thing. Right, and the room is almost a character. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, these beautifully, just perfectly framed yeah, lockdown yeah, shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, the, he was a wonder, wonderful, uh, wonderful filmmaker. Yeah, there's something about a movie like that that doesn't, uh, it's not so busy that you can really concentrate on the words and the relationship uh, that's going on. Mm. Uh, I really had an appreciation for that. And then all the beautiful shots in between, he you know he had all those wonderful, almost still lifes of harbors uh, and, and trains. Yeah, and, but it wasn't like a beauty shot. So yeah, it no, like no it's clothes, in black and white. Yeah, like wonderful. a clothesline or a, yeah, a banner in the wind. Right, and things like that. Just really gorgeous. Yeah. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. 
It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day savings event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. I have a, did you have an affinity for the Asian culture when you got into that? or was it? Uh, well, you know, if we go back to the, uh, I, I've always been interested in Japanese things. I, I, in the in the summer of love, to jump back to that, you know, um, I I became interested in yoga, and I lived in a yoga ashram, and then then I kind of shifted over to, to Japanese things. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do it anymore, but I studied martial art. I studied Aikido for thirty years. Oh wow! Uh, and uh, you know, I like Japanese food and stuff. So I I, I I'm drawn to Japanese mm-hmm. culture. You still do yoga? Uh, I swim and walk around. That's about all I can do at this point. Uh, all right. I think that does it for Tokyo's story. Um, really glad you turned me on to this because it's not a movie I ordinarily probably would have seen on my own. And now I feel like I have to dive into Ozu's career a bit more. Yeah, there's um, a lot of great ones. Yeah, I mean, and this movie is regarded as, as one of the all-time greats. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read quite a few pieces on it and, and one of them was from Roger Ebert and he just uh, I mean, he talks about weeping at, in the third act mm-hmm. when it's just so sad and the kind of reckoning comes for these kids who still don't really notice it mm-hmm. you know it's such a sad ending yeah and I think they, they talk about the disappointment of life just outwardly life yeah. was disappointing was one of the lines yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's really sad 
but we can wrap it up here with five questions. Okay. Why do you like sad stuff? <laughs> <laughs> no, I love sad stuff too. It's um, something about the warm blanket of, of something sad that's comforting in a way. It's weird. <laughs> I like the happy stuff too. Um, first movie you remember seeing in the theater? Yikes. Uh, in a theater. Hmm. God. So long ago. I, you know, it was probably something like Pinocchio. Mm -hmm. You know, the, 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 the incredible Disney cartoon. Right. It was made in the late 40s. Mm -hmm. So I might have got, and Fantasia, you know, those... Because you take your your kids to cartoon movies mm -hmm. first before they go to westerns and stuff. So I I, I would say it would, it would either have been um, you know Pinocchio or maybe Snow White or, or mm -hmm. one of those. Do you remember your first uh, R-rated movie or what would have been an R-rated movie? Gee, again, that's so long ago. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't remember. <laughs> That's fine. It, you know, some, I throw that question in there because sometimes it's a very big deal for someone to have, you know, snuck away and seen the movie they weren't supposed to see. Yeah. And it kind of, uh, you know, it was a monumental moment, but it's certainly fine that you don't remember. That's fine. Uh, we walk out of a bad movie when you go to movies. We leave a movie. Oh, yes. I, I, I do leave movies. Mm. I... I um... Yeah, I'm impatient as I've gotten older. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I, have, I don't have a lot of time left to waste at a movie that I'm not enjoying. Even movies that are supposed to be good. Right. You know, uh, I don't want to name names, but I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I often, if I'm with somebody, I'll kind of say, I'll see you at home. Right. <laughs> You'll slip out. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good move. I don't like it. Uh, who would play you? In the Loudon Wainwright story, ideally, uh, and it can be from any era. Oh, from any era. Yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't have to name some twenty-year-old kid. Do you know who Dan Durier is? Was no. Okay. Well, Who's people that? used to say that he looked like me. Oh, okay. He was an actor in the forties who, uh -huh. who who looked like me. Um, uh, I, I I don't know who who I would play. You know. Uh, You know, I, I mentioned Spencer Tracy. I mean, as as long as we were we're uh, heaping praise on people, sure. I just saw him in another movie. I, I on the other night on Turner, he you know they were showing uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Right. Uh, that actor mm -hmm. is is the great great film actor. So mm -hmm. you would want you, I would want him to play me. Okay, that's great. Like, <laughs> Spencer Tracy. <laughs> Uh, question five, and there is going to be a bonus because you're a musician. But question five, um, I call movie going one hundred and one. What is what is your ritual at the movie theater? Where do you like to sit? Do you always kind of get the same thing at the concession stand? Uh, well, again, I'm, I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a, a cranky guy about that. I, I 
I don't get anything in the concession stand. I, 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 I don't like the popcorn thing. Uh-huh. I, I'm irritated by it. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, when, I, when I, I, I talked about this thing of going to this boys' boarding school and seeing the movie, the, the movie that we had Saturday night, I didn't even sit with my friends. I sat away from them because it was, I, I wanted to absorb it. I wasn't interested in goofing around, right. hacking around. It was so special mm-hmm. because that life in that boarding school was pretty dreary. Sure. And uh, so the movie, when the movie came on, it was magical. And uh, and now if I go to a movie and there's somebody, you know, scarfing down popcorn, I get uh-huh. up and get as far away from that person as I can. <laughs> all right. So solitude. Solitude, all fasting, all and prayer. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, all right, and then finally we'll do a little bonus. Uh, when I have musicians on, I try to I try to remember to ask this, but uh, first guitar and favorite guitar. Um, well, the first guitar I had uh, was, uh, you know, we, we were talking about my dad, and uh, he, he lived out in L.A. We we lived out in L.A. for some years in the fifties, and he had. Uh, a friend called Terry Gilkison. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you may have heard of, of Terry's daughter, would be my age or, or thereabouts, Eliza Gilkison. She's a singer-songwriter and, and a performer. But Terry Gilkison, in the 50s, was a, kind of a big deal. In, he had a group called, um, oh God, I can't remember the name. Anyway, he wrote a song called <coughs> the All Day, All Night, Marianne. Mm-hmm. Down by the seaside, sifting sand. It was a hit on the radio, mm-hmm. and he uh, memories are made of this. Uh, it, he and his two other guys were backup singers for Dean Martin on that record. Uh-huh. So he was kind of a happening guy, and and he was a drinking buddy of my father's. And my father played a little piano. It wasn't a very good singer, but Terry Gilkison gave my dad a guitar. A, uh, a little Mexican nylon string guitar, mm-hmm. which my dad kind of tried to play and then got bored or couldn't get his calluses together right. and gave up. I was the oldest boy and a bit of a bully, and I pushed my brother and sisters out of the way and got uh-huh. that guitar. <laughs> and that was my very first guitar. That's great. Uh, How old were you? 13, you said? Yeah, 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so that that's when I got my first guitar. Then the other question is my favorite guitar. Yeah, I've had some pretty cool guitars. I, I, I mostly uh, I play Martin guitars, sure. Martin Dreadnoughts. Uh, but I've had uh, I had a very exotic guitar, uh, a D'Angelico Archtop mm-hmm. uh, F hole. Uh, you know, it's not it, it, it was beautiful uh, jazz guitar. Mm-hmm. I'm not really a jazz player, but. It sure looked good. It yeah. sounded good. I've had a couple of good Gibson guitars. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not a guitar nut. Right. You know, I'm not like Steve Earle who has 750 guitars. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it should be played. That always makes me a little sad. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I've had some good guitars, and I, I'm, I'm a Martin man by and large. Me too. Yeah. Oh, good. good. Glad to hear that. Yeah. All right. That's well, it. Thank you. Pretty famous. It was painless. I had fun. All right. Thank you, Adam. Thank you.
All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that. Loudon's a good guy. And um, I think he enjoyed talking to me, actually. That, that was my takeaway. Was, uh, he, was, he was a friendly guy. And uh, we had a good conversation about um, his music and his acting and his art and uh, his life and fatherhood and Tokyo Story. Really good movie. Go out and watch it. Um, I encourage you to kind of reach beyond your comfort zone and get into some of these more, um, I guess, if, uh, if you're an American who's 40 or younger, you might consider this an obscure film. But certainly a great, great movie from 1953. So until next time, I hope you enjoyed it. And definitely reach out of your comfort zone. Go, go watch a foreign film. Go watch a black and white film. Go watch a film from the 1940s or 50s. Do it. You won't regret it. Movie Crush is produced, engineered, edited, and soundtracked by Noel Brown and Ramsey Yunt at HowStuffWorks Studios, Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.